This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Ant-Man and the Wasp, where we will discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this Marvel superhero movie. And joining me today on the panel are Trent Horn. Hi, Trent. Hello, Dom. And Andrew Hermes. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Dom. So, uh, Andrew and Trent are first-time panelists with us on SQPN and on Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. And so uh, I wanted to introduce them a bit to the audience first, and... Um, you both work for Catholic Answers. That's is that correct? That's right. I'm an apologist and speaker, so I write articles, books, and uh, other resources for people to listen to. I also do our radio show at Catholic Answers Live. Excellent. And Andrew, what do you what do you do there? Yeah, I am the uh, video producer here at Catholic Answers. So um, what I mainly do is I produce the uh, TV show Catholic Answers Live TV. Um, it's a show that airs on EWTN uh, every week. And it's basically a uh, a best of compilation of our uh, popular daily uh, live show on the radio um, that we produced into a, a TV show. Awesome, cool. And I assume you're both uh, big uh, superhero movie fans, right? Is, is would that be fair to say? <laughs> yeah, you can usually find either of us wearing superhero T-shirts uh, in <laughs> yeah. the office. We don't have that strict of a dress code here. That's awesome. And and Absolutely. given that Catholic Answers is located in, in San Diego, I assume that uh, Comic Con is a big event for 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 everyone there. Uh, <laughs> yes, this, it is. Yeah, I, I attend uh, every year. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, it's a big deal for me. I, yeah, I'm I, quite jealous. I was I was gracious to be. I was grateful. I should say to be able to attend. Last year, it was really funny. I was on a train with my wife and children, and I had tried to get tickets last year, and I couldn't. And I talked to a guy on the train. He liked my kids, and we were chatting a bit, and he worked at Comic-Con. And I said, yeah, I wish I could go, but you can never get tickets. He said, I tell you what, what day of the week except for Saturday would you want to go? I said, well, I have Friday off. He said, okay, I'll, I'll send you a ticket. And so, and so he just sent that to me, and I was able to... Uh, be able to go last year. I, I I did the request this year, but I was only able to get one one pass on Thursday. They're they're hard to come by. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, I, I am quite jealous. I, I you know in the Boston area, we they have a Boston Comic Con, but you know it's not the same thing. Of course, that's yeah, not. <laughs> so uh, so let's talk talking about uh, this particular movie that we're going to talk about uh, here, which is. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's the uh, sequel from earlier this year, from 2018, to the 2015 movie Ant-Man. Um, and it was, you know, a, a bit of a surprise, I think, this that, you've, frankly, that there was a sequel to this uh, when we first heard about Ant-Man. 
Um, this is kind of a minor character in in Marvel, isn't it? The the Ant Man. I, mean, I, I, I let me preface this because I've said this before. I'm not a huge comic book fan, but I like co- the the superhero movies. So I, I may not be up on all of my comic knowledge, but but is, do you guys know? I mean, is isn't Ant Man kind of a relatively minor superhero compared to say Captain America or Iron Man? Well, Ant Man was in a, the Hank Pym iteration of Ant Man was an important part of Avengers, one of the important founding members of the Avengers. He's definitely not as well-known in Marvel comics as, you know, Spider-Man or now even Iron Man because of the films. Iron Man himself was kind of a B-list character before the 2008 MCU film brought him back to the public consciousness. But so he was a big part of the comics and a lot of that had to be changed though, to satisfy the Marvel cinematic universe. For example, in Avengers age of Ultron, it is Tony Stark, Iron Man, who creates the Ultron artificial intelligence who goes rogue, whereas in the comics, it was Hank Pym who created Ultron, but not mm. a big character, but but still an important one, at least especially with Avengers lore. OK, OK. But with the way that they've they've kind of recreated the character here, it's now like the, the second generation of Ant-Man uh, with um uh, Paul Rudd's character, uh, the the name escaped me for a second. Yeah, Scott, Scott Lang. Lang. Scott Lang, yes. Uh, so Scott Lang is because uh, that's what one thing that often happens. I find in in the especially in the Marvel comics is uh, actually DC does it too, where they have generations of people with the same superhero uh, identity. You know, so you have a uh, Iron Man suit picked up. Well, actually. Is I I don't know that Iron Man is picked up. Maybe I'm wrong, but I know Captain America's suit is picked up by someone else, and Spider Man, and famously now Thor, which is a whole nother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much every character, yeah, yeah, because yeah, now they have uh, uh, the newest iteration of Spider Man is Miles Morales. Uh, this also now DC has been doing this for a long time, which is interesting in certain respects. That while there's always been one Batman, there had been three different generations of the Flash. There was Jay Garrick. Flash, the Barry Barry Allen Flash, and then later on the Wally West Flash, and right. so you, this does happen fairly often in comic book heroes to change things up to kind of pass the mantle along. Interesting. So, so in this one, we we have it is like in the first movie that mantle was passed from Hank Pym to Scott Lang, and in and this movie kind of picks up from there. And and I I was kind of surprised like how popular, um, the the these two movies have been. Although I don't know if I should have been because I was trying to think of what makes these these particular movies so popular. And, you know, is it Paul Rudd? Is he particularly, you know, uh, good at this character or is it or is it the humor that comes through? And this that's one of the things that sort of distinguishes some of the the more successful Marvel movies that from my point of view is is that they they have good action. But they also have a lot of good humor. They don't take themselves too seriously. So you have Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Wasp. You have Thor Ragnarok. Um, and then you famously, I mean, everybody's remarked on this. You contrast that with DC movies, which are dark and heavy and <clears throat> brooding and, and brooding and, and don't yeah. do nearly as well. But what's fun, funny is when you look at that darker movies that don't have this kind of cheeky self-aware tone that we see in Marvel and Marvel sometimes does this as well. That annoys me. They use a writing device called bathos, uh, which is where you have a serious moment that is immediately undercut by a joke. So things don't get too serious. Right. And so, yeah, so, and that happens so much in Marvel films that it almost kind of annoys me a little bit, but with DC where the DC extended universe 
I think fell into this trap was they were trying to emulate the success of Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy, which if you look at the Dark Knight trilogy, it's especially this the second movie that, you know, the Dark Knight. It's not really a superhero movie. It's more of a, a noir crime thriller. And so if you look at it in that sense, you can have a very engaging film that's not cracking jokes left and right. But the problem is the later DC extended universe films try to be superhero films that have that crime noir uh, grittiness to them, but without the groundedness. So it just comes off in kind of an awkward way. That's true. That's a good way to look at it. It's uh, it doesn't necessarily work that 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 crime noir. I mean, that's he is he is the um, uh, the the the. What are the, the the title for Batman is like the the de, the detective the greatest detective the master greatest detective. Master detective right right yeah. you know that's that it 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 like literally that's that's built into the DNA of the character whereas Superman is supposed to be you know literally brighter I mean the the in the comics the 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 costume is you know red and blue very bright um, I think they kind of figure that out I mean we're kind of getting into into you know off the topic of Amy and the Wasp but I, I kind of just finished the thought we were having here which is like they kind of figured out with Wonder Woman which was which was lighter and I mean it had some dark you know it was World War One it's not the lightest subject <laughs> but it but sure. it felt lighter in some ways and uh, and and had a different feel to it so um so, and I think that, that this owes to the success of Ant-Man and the Wasp to, you know, to bring it back around. Even when you compare it to other Marvel films, there are other Marvel films that the ones that don't do as well are the ones that kind of take themselves too seriously. Right. Uh, examples I think might be the original The Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton or probably one of the worst of the MCU films would be Thor The Dark World. Right. Which is where. Especially, I think what makes Ant-Man and the Wasp so successful is, yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but especially with Ant-Man and the Wasp in comparison to Ant-Man, but both of them share this. I think a lot of times audiences are bored with a superhero film where the conflict is the world is going to end. You know, the stakes are so high. There's there's a blue beam of death coming down from the sky going to kill us. I mean, <laughs> right. you look in the DC movies and the Marvel movies, there's always some blue beam of death coming down from the sky. that's going to kill everybody. A circle Where, of trash. Right. Yes. Where, whereas in the original Ant-Man, it's just, oh, this weapons guy is going to get away with technology that could really wreck the world. But what made Ant-Man and the Wasp wonderful in that regard is not just the humor. I would say it's a very pun intended it's a small film. Right. And what makes it enjoyable is that the conflict is not about, oh, save the world. It's just we need to save Janet Van Dyne from the quantum realm. We are invested in getting we have a limited time window and antagonists to save this one person. And people can really wrap their heads around a concrete goal of save this one person. And you're emo and you get emotionally invested in the first five minutes of the film to save this one person. And that goodwill carries you through the rest of the film. Uh Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to add to that. I think I think the success of Marvel movies in general, like are attributed to that is they they usually take a uh, a big storyline that's popular in the comics and just brings it down to a human level or on a more personal, intimate level. Um, I mean, you can even see it in a in a grand movie like Infinity War. You know, uh, you, you can really boil it down to a movie about, you know, one man, you know, who's trying to. Uh, right his one wrong, you know, in his sense and, you know, and failing his planet. Right. And, and, and trying to uh, uh, save the universe. Um, 
uh, by doing that. But really, it's it's really just a, a story about a, this broken man who's on a mission. And with Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, it really boils down to, you know, it's it's a family movie. It's 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 a it's a father and his daughter trying to find, you know, their mother and their wife. So I think I think, you know, just to take it back to the DC argument, I think that's where DC failed. It's it's where, you know, Batman vs. Superman tried to cram Doomsday a storyline, Death of Superman, uh, Justice League, like all in one movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and it just it, it just doesn't work. Um, right. So I so I think that's where Marvel found its bread and butter is every movie has its one focus it even focuses on one genre. I mean, Ant-Man is basically, you know, a comedy heist film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ant-Man and the Wasp is almost a family comedy. Uh, so I think that's where uh, Marvel thrives. You know, that it, it, I would go even even deeper into that and, and to kind of take that, that point even further and say the best of the superhero movies are the ones that are focused on family, family relationships, whether it's Hank and Janet, you know, husband and wife, or... Um, uh, Hope and her mom and dad um, or Scott and his daughter. I mean, in this movie, you have all of these relationships and you even have a pseudo relationship between um, uh, Dr. Foster and, uh, you know, ghost um, Ava. You, you have this, th- these relationships that are familial. And then you, and, and you see this in other, the other great movies, you know, either Thor Ragnarok, is a it's a, it's about a family uh, a dysfunctional family. You have Thor, Odin, uh, his, you know the his sister, uh, you know Freya, and I mean you have these these familiar relationships. In Wonder Woman, you you got that too as a DC movie where you had Wonder Woman and her mother and her you know extended um, pseudo family of the Amazons. You know, whereas with like say Batman, you didn't have that, or you know the the Dark Knight movies or the Superman movie only a little bit with his mom you know, but so but, but it's not convincing you know right. you have pa kent standing there and the tornado gets him and you just don't <laughs> feel like this is a real right. family exactly and, and ironically when you when you looked at together the one i think of and you say you know family superheroes uh the pixar incredible films the incredibles right. yes that is family films and that's why people will say things like well you, you can't make a good fantastic four movie Yes, you can. It's called The Incredibles. Yeah. <laughs> that is a Fantastic Four film. And that's why it's ironic that Marvel, the Fantastic Four, are called Marvel's first family. But in all three of the terrible Fantastic Four films, what they get wrong is they focus on the action and they don't create a believable family. Exactly. Well, it's going to be all good now because Marvel is going to retain the rights to uh, Fantastic Four. <laughs> I hope. Yeah. So hopefully they'll write that ship. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, I also wanted to talk about the casting of this movie. This uh, this you have a, a, a you know high quality cast here. Um, you know Paul Rudd is is pretty good at being funny, but you get um, you have Evangeline Lilly who you know famously discovered and you know had her her big break in Lost and has done a few things since then. But you have um, um, Lawrence Fishburne, you have Michelle Pfeiffer, you have. Um, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Yes, that was the name I was on the tip of my tongue. Uh, you I mean you have a, a lot of these great actors? Then you have these other interesting actors like uh, Hannah John Kamen, who plays Ava, who was uh, recently in a sci-fi series called Killjoys, which eh, mediocre, but you know she's an interesting, interesting actress uh, in her in herself and the few things that she's done. Um, and then you have. Um, uh, Bert, Sonny Birch, played by Walter Goggins, who was in, uh, interestingly in a uh, 
recent um, History Channel series called Six about SEAL Team Six, which was um, it's it's very violent. But it, it but it's his character is a very interesting character, and he you know he's pretty. I mean, in this he doesn't get the the, the range he wants, but but in general, this is a really good cast. You have and you have um, you know Michael Pena, and you have, I mean you have a lot of you know a lot of good casting in this. I think that that lends itself to making this a a better movie than it could have been otherwise, perhaps. Um, you know, what do you think of the casting of this movie uh, and, and the various actors who played the roles? I mean, did, did anybody not kind of hold up their, their end of the bargain in this? Um, I think everyone uh, held up. I mean, like you said, that's a real cast of names, uh, real talent um, in that movie. Um, and I think, you know, it's funny. I was, I, I rewatched a movie last night. And uh, my wife was kind of just listening to the movie because she was doing other stuff. And she thought, like, she has never seen the movie. So she was just listening to the audio of it. And she's like, this movie sounds terrible. Because she's <laughs> just hearing, like, the the words. And, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I guess if you just, if you pay attention to the lines, it's, it's very, it's either very, you know, uh, formulaic, very common superhero trope type stuff. Nothing groundbreaking in this movie. Um or it's like weird quantum realm, you know, speak that doesn't make any sense. And and I like how uh, Paul Rudd's characters, uh, Scott Lang, you know, kind of it kind of meta humor where he points out, like, do you just put quantum in front of everything? You know, whenever you're explaining <laughs> these things. Um, so I think, yeah, you have to have good actors to deliver these sort of silly lines or it's just going to be it could have been terrible, I think, because at the end of the day, I don't think this movie was groundbreaking. Um, but it did a good job of bringing the humor back from the first film. You know, Michael Pena steals every scene that's he, that he's in, you know, just like the first film, but it was an improvement on the first film because I, I enjoyed this movie much. I liked the first film a lot, but I thought, and it's rare for sequels to really improve on the original. I think it's very apparent that this movie improved on the original because now the character's better. Everyone understands their character a lot more. They're not trying to figure out where the character fits. The pacing was very on point. I didn't think the pacing was quite on point in Ant-Man. It's kind of moved sluggish during the time when they were trying to recruit Scott. Uh, whereas here, you had a very, very solid pacing. There's nothing in the film that I would have cut it, cut out or shortened. And also the villain, they did a great job with Ava, that anytime you have a relatable villain, that's going to be better. Uh, that's why, you know, I mean, in the first film, I don't even remember the name of the, the villain. Honestly, he's just evil corporate yeah. man evil right. ball corporate man uh, that it, with. And also I hate this trope that sometimes happens even in Marvel films where the bad guy has to be a mirror image of the good guy. Sure. So like in the original Iron Man, it's Iron Man versus Iron Monger. It's two guys in an iron yeah. suit in Ant-Man. It's one guy in the Ant-Man suit. Then, and the, then in the yellow jacket suit, but it's much more interesting here where you have the ghost who can't shrink or change size, but the ability to face through objects allows her to fight uh scott lang and uh you know hope van dyne in interesting ways that just makes it you know it just makes it a lot better the one thing i would have changed maybe villain wise i i, I wasn't a big fan of of sunny birch's character coming in i thought oh, i kind yeah. of disrupted the tone a little yeah. chewing the scenery i don't know why they didn't just bring in justin hammer if you yeah. need an evil tycoon an evil weapons manufacturer just bring back justin hammer who was the anta- one of the antagonists in iron yeah. man 2 that'd probably be my my biggest uh improvement or suggestion it was interesting that they had more than one villain so you had you know sunny birch you had ava and 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 you had this 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 
And then you kind of had the FBI agents who were kind of not, not they weren't really villains, but but They're they were foils. Right. Yeah. They were a kind of antagonist. And you had this 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 these three poles of I've got to avoid all of them sort of thing. And and that undercurrent where he's where uh, Scott is under house arrest and he's trying to avoid getting caught breaking the his terms of house arrest. And and I think that lends some some. I mean, we don't want to oversell this movie, but it lends some over uh, some complexity to the to the plotting anyway. And I did like that. Uh, I, I can see your point. Like Sonny, the Sonny Birch subplot did threaten to kind of make it a little too too many directions at once. Too many things in the pot. I, I can I can see that uh, going going through it. Um, so you know, kind of looking at it. So, you know, kind of look at the movie itself. Um, it opens with this cold open, this. Uh, extended flashback sequence. Uh, in fact, it, it, when it, when it, at first it starts a black, uh, black screen, but just voices of Michelle Pfeiffer and Michael Douglas, Hank and Janet. Um, and then we get their faces. And then we have this, you know, this amazing CGI of young Michael Douglas and young Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, I got to say, not too uncanny valley. There was a little bit of that looks a little strange, but not too much. I mean, it was, it was they're pretty, getting, they're getting better. good at it. They yeah. used photographs circa 1985 for Michelle Pfeiffer to reconstruct her face, but they're, they're getting really good. Yes. It, it was, I mean, it's amazing. It was amazing. Uh, I have to say. And, um, and then we, you know, we go through this flashback of them, um, this mission where Janet gets lost in the quantum quantum realm. We don't get any explanation of what, you know, what, why there's this missile, where it's going, who's going to blow up, you know, who sent it doesn't matter because, you know, to the to this film, it just matters the result of it, which is that she sacrifices herself and ends up lost. Uh, and they think forever. And you have but you have it in the in this in the narrative framework of their husband and wife and they're with their daughter and they're going on a quote unquote business trip, uh, to, you know, they're going to save the world and or whatever they're saving. And then. um you know, you have this this moment where the they leave, they have to leave their daughter, and you and you think about the the, the context of being a like being a superhero. One parent is is you know dangerous enough, but having both parents being going on going on missions like this, it just seems really bad. Like you shouldn't do that. <laughs> risk both you know hus- you know mother and father at once, and risk turning your children to orphans. Um, but I thought it was an interesting uh, mechanism, this this extended flashback before the opening credits, before anything else um, to, to go through this setting up, basically setting up the movie. Um, what did you feel like um, watching this, especially when we get to the part where the father has to tell his daughter that her mother isn't coming home? I mean, you know, as a dad, I mean, it just. It hits me right in the feels, you know. Uh, so, uh, oh, same here. I, I get teary in the beginning of this movie because I, I have to travel a lot for work and leave my family as well. So I completely understand it. And I thought it was great. It was it was tight, compact, got the emotions and backstory because we learned a lot of this. This was told already in Ant-Man. Right. But, you know, for people who haven't seen Ant-Man before, you have to be able to retell it for people. So it was done in a very efficient way, but also in a way that was that preserved the emotional core by adding the scene of them leaving, which is something we didn't see in Ant-Man. So it, it helps uh, even the veteran audience. Yeah. I thought like, can, did he, can he ever get the regulator to work? Right. I mean, I feel like the, <laughs> right. you know, it was supposed to be Hank that, that shrunk down, but the regulator never works. It never worked for Scott and it feels like he can never get it right. But um, 
I think eventually he just got rid of the regulator. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I felt like that was, uh, like Trent said, it's it's a good way for um, those who haven't seen the first Ant-Man um, to just get introduced to the story right away and, and get caught up uh, to the the family dynamic. And uh, it was, yeah, it was very emotional. And you got to see, uh, even though we, we only saw Janet for maybe five minutes total on screen, the whole movie, um, she really played a pivotal role um, uh, at the beginning and the end of the movie. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I remember when they were marketing the movie, they kind of made her out to be like one of the stars, um, right. of the film. Um, but, but obviously that wasn't the case, but she's probably the, the most intriguing character. Cause you see at the end, um, she has some powers from the quantum realm and we, we don't quite understand what, what it means, but it looks like there's potential there for, uh, some serious, uh, storylines in the future. Yeah. Um, if something changes like they, in the, uh, the beginning. If, the, if, yeah, go ahead. if there's something that changes drastically in the second Infinity War movie, which, come on, we all know it will. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Well, this movie ties in well with that, which I'm sure we'll yeah. we'll talk about before the end of our time together. Yes, I definitely want to uh, mention that. Um, so we we get the opening credits, then it's present day, and then we have uh, Scott in his house. You know, during you know it, it, at the end of his house arrest, he's under house arrest um, because he violated the Sokovia Accords by going to Germany with Captain America in, in uh, Captain America Civil War. And that's one of the things that um, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe almost got wrong, I think, which is introducing this whole, the Sokovia Awards, which which I suppose you needed for Civil War, but it very close got like bogged down into this political, you know, machinations, which, which is, these are, these are action movies. So you gotta be, you gotta keep the action up. You don't want to end up phantom menacing to uh, this, this these movies. (laughs) I also didn't like, like when general Thunderbolt in, you know, Ross Thunderbolt was talking to them in civil war. He's like, look at what happened in Washington and New York. This is your fault. I would have said, but said, weren't you going to, blow up new york with a nuclear bomb <laughs> right, yeah. wait a minute everything in washington was your guys's fault with shield all right sokovia is our fault i'll give you that one but i would say you guys are way more at fault than us that was me mad that nobody stood up and said you guys are way worse than us <laughs> exactly. but yeah i see your point right well that and that's actually an interesting um sort of a, a trope or cliche that sort of entered into uh superhero sort of uh stories these days is the 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 real world backlash against the all the damage that superheroes do and i wonder if that's a little bit of a reaction to um uh man of steel a little bit uh, i don't know maybe i guess these movies were in production well you know before man of steel came out but that uh, i remember one of the reactions to man of steel was what did they do to that city? Like the metropolis, they like basically wiped out this city. How many tens of thousands of people are dead from this Superman battle? But that wouldn't even be the problem. The problem is Superman just doesn't care. He's just like, <laughs> great, I'm going to get some more punching in. And then like he makes out with Lois Lane and the city's ruined. <laughs> right. If he had at least like been horrified at the destruction that it took place, then it'd be like, oh, well, this is a really tragic thing. Hopefully that he'll avenge this. But right. it was just a complete lack of self-awareness by the filmmakers. Is the problem. That's true. That's right. Yeah, it was it was very odd. Very odd. Um, so we so Scott is under house arrest and he's also running a security business with uh, his his old uh, uh, criminal crew. The, I mean, who better to run security than uh, former thieves, which actually we've seen in real life. Some of these guys uh, reform and, and start businesses to stop uh, 
guys like themselves. Uh, so they're running this business. Meanwhile, Scott is being, um, you know, dad to his his uh, daughter um, in the world's greatest indoor uh, home play space. I mean, this is <laughs> seriously uh, I'm like, I want to build this out of cardboard for my kids in my house. I'm not sure my wife would go for it. But, you know, this is the sort of thing a, a, a dad who's you know, a home alone uh, ends up doing, I suppose. But uh, so they have this 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 amazing uh, moment. I mean, so we're we're setting him up as this amazing great dad, and and for all his flaws, and Scott Lang has has plenty of them. Um, it, uh, as dad, you know, as we're being presented, uh, being dad is not you know he's not bad at being a dad. He's good at being a dad. Um, so uh, it's it's interesting to to see that relationship that they set right in the beginning. And that's good to continue the plot, because to be a good dad, he can't go back to prison. Right. And so for the rest of the plot, you're really rooting for Scott to not get caught again, because that's the one thing he is good at. Uh, I also appreciated in this little scene was how they brought in the FBI agent, uh, Jimmy Wu, who's played by Randall Park. Right. To once character. again, to try to you have you have a lot of backstory. Well, the, the, the thing that could have been botched with this film would, would be would be if it, if it had simply uh oh, what's the word I'm looking for here uh if they had just crammed all the exposition in the first 10 minutes and this happened in civil war and then this happened where you have it's just delightful Jimmy Woo who's a character by the way that is older in Marvel comics than I think Ant-Man he is like from the 1960s from Yellow Claw comics and then so that that is a throwback to an older Marvel character with with FBI agent Jimmy Woo they says Oh, Cassie, this might be a lot of complicated grown-up stuff, but you know how you can't draw on the walls? Well, your daddy went to Germany with Captain America and drew on the walls by violating subsection C, Article 4 of the Scovia Accords. <laughs> it was just a delightful way to put all that back together to know, oh, here's why this happened, and then you can move forward. Right. right. Yeah, th 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 I really liked how they, they kind of used the uh, the agent uh, Wu character to sort of subvert from of the expectations that we have about you know, these movies, you know, there was a at the end of the movie, he kind of confronts, uh, you know, Scott, who's who he knows has gotten away with something. And he says, you know, we'll I'll see you again. And and Scott's kind of like, you know, where are you, are you coming back? Are you inviting me out to dinner or something? And then you know, then you get this awkward moment where Jimmy's like, well, did, did you want to go? Oh, OK, never mind. Never mind. And like, I mean, it's just it's just these funny moments where this sort of subverts the usual expectations of of what you think it, this a guy in this. Well, that's why the do. film works so well. Yeah. All of the characters in it are humanized, even the FBI agent. He's like, he's like, wow, you're really good with kids. Thanks. I'm also a youth pastor. Just, <laughs> you have these are all very human, relatable people. And that's what makes it work. Right. Uh, one of my favorite bits of that is uh, Scott tells him that, you know, has been spending all my time learning. um uh, close up magic and he's doing like you know hand magic tricks and then at one point you see you know woo in the background he's online you know learning magic tricks in his office when one of the agents comes in to confront them uh, i mean it's just these 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 fun little beats that they 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 sprinkle through the movie that that kind of break up the seriousness or you, you know the action um so we have scott has this weird dream of being in the quantum realm and then of seeing Janet and then being Janet in a, in a memory of her and uh, young hope. And uh, we find out later that this is, this is a result of um, Hank and, and hope opening up a bridge to the quantum realm. Um, and 
uh, Janet reaching out through it somehow. She's got this link with Scott because he was there. Uh, There's a lot of this, you know, mumbo jumbo, technical, you know, wavy and stuff. Um, you know, but we, we have this discussion of the quantum realm. They brought it up in the first movie, uh, but they haven't, they don't talk much about the reality of it here. Um, but the fact is, is, you know, when we talk about the quantum realm, there is a science science related to quantum mechanics about stuff that's smaller than than atoms, the stuff that atoms are made up of. Um, but trying to, I'm not sure it's whether it's worth discussing, like the, this idea of there being a, a quantum realm and whether you could exist in it, what it would be like. Uh, I mean, frankly, it's I think it's just. <laughs> We needed another dimension. We didn't want to say an alternate dimension. So we said, you know, a tiny place uh, that they could shrink to. Well, what is hard is that alternate dimensions are much more believable. You have to really I have to suspend disbelief a lot with the Ant-Man series. Well, in the the original comics, what made the Ant-Man suit work were the Pym particles. And those are the Pym particles are the real hand wavy stuff to, to make make it work, because if you took a person's atoms and expand, because it's true that there's a lot of empty space between our atoms. So if you shrank a person, but they retained their mass, they would just become incredibly dense. And, you know, they would uh, they'd have a hard time moving around. They fall through things. Uh, or if you turn them into giant man, like in the film, when he's 60 feet tall, if he retains all his atoms, but his size increases, he would just kind of become the equivalent of a Macy's Thanksgiving Day balloon and float away. <laughs> right. Because right. His, his density would be lighter than air. So <laughs> you have to say, well, the pin particles displaced it. Well, fine. I just want to have a fun movie. But yeah, a person, how are they still retaining their own molecules if they're smaller than atoms? Are their molecules smaller than atom now? Yeah, I mean, you just so there is this kind of when you go down to quarks and strings which are you know the the fundamental building blocks of of matter there's weird things that happen there that we can't completely explain but you know it's not the quantum realm of the movie right yeah it's just quantum entanglement (laughs) (laughs) we're just putting quantum in front of things right (laughs) exactly yeah but and and you know i think um now quantum entanglement is a real thing where particles can their spin or charge can be correlated with another particle that is separated them by a certain distance, which normally you wouldn't see in the macro world, but can happen at the yeah. quantum level. So they take real things and just extrapolate a whole heck out, out of it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, it's good to bring up this quantum realm stuff because I think it's, it's obvious that this is going to be an important part of the Marvel cinematic universe going forward. Um, I think, uh, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, in Avengers four, we're going to discover more of the quantum realm. Um, and you know, we didn't see Ant-Man at all in, in, in infinity war. So that kind of, that kind of suggests that he's going to play quite a pivotal role in, in Avengers four. Right. And, and, and as you, we see in the after credits uh, scene, he's still in the quantum realm. Uh, when, when the, might, the might timely snap, I want to put a pin in that. So <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, so hopefully, I mean, yeah, I mean, we can make fun of all the mum, scientific mumbo jumbo. I mean, at the end of the day, these are superhero films. They're comic books, you know, coming to life. And, you know, we have to suspend, uh, you know, disbelief a little bit. But, uh, I, you know, if, if it's going to be a major part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward, then they're going to have to flesh out that world, you know, a little better and, and kind of explain things a little more. That's a little more maybe believable or like where you can at least say, OK, I, I can... I can deal with that. I can, I can believe that. Yeah. 
you know, uh, the quantum entanglement, speaking of which, I, I remember reading about they want to use that as a way uh, to create a faster than light communication where um, if you can make uh, molecules or atoms uh, vibrate in uh, in sync across great distances, um, then can you can you do that in such a way as to make it predictable and re- reproducible and thus create communication? Like they're they're not sure how it works. That's one of the interesting things about it is things that should not be able to react as instantly without the speed of light being an issue. Then so so it's that that's one of the aspects of it. Um, so we're not sure how it works, but if we can make it work, can we create communications that are, are not dependent on the speed of light, like between Mars and Earth, with you know the minutes of a delay and that sort of thing. Um, they even, uh, it's, you know, all, all highly speculative, but one of the things that they've even talked about is like, can you, do we do use quantum entanglement for transporter technology, which is a whole nother podcast. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I don't want to be killed and have a duplicate of me made, but we'll talk about that in secrets of Star Trek. That's a, that's a whole nother. <laughs> so, um, so what we found, you know, one of the things they bring up is, and so this, like we said, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that is sort of assumed from the first movie. And one of the things that comes up is Hank and Hope are on the run and they're mad at Scott because something he did made them, uh, you know, uh, fugitives from justice. Can you remind? It's been a long time since I saw the first movie. Can you remind me what it was that that he did? It's because he went to Berlin to he went to help Captain America uh, well, Hank said you went to Germany to fight the Avengers, Scott, <laughs> because so he took the Ant-Man suit. He went to Germany. He fought alongside Captain America against Iron Man. And he did this. And Hank Pym, because in the original Ant-Man, when they had this problem, uh, Scott says, which we always say is, you know, it's just kind of a lampshade, like a meta joke to the audience. Maybe we should really call the Avengers. <laughs> it's kind of like in Thor, the dark world, the world's going to end. Maybe we should call the Avengers right now instead of just Thor. Uh, so, uh, so he goes there and, and Hank Pym in the original Ant-Man said he didn't want to call the Avengers cause he didn't want Tony Stark to get his hands. He didn't want Howard Stark back in the eighties to get his hands on the, the Ant-Man suit. So he did, he didn't right. want Tony Stark to get a hold of it. So they wanted to do this himself. So he was of course peeved that Scott went fought Captain America law and, and you know, he ended up getting captured and imprisoned by Tony Stark. And thankfully though, he somehow, which is a bit of a plot hole. Uh, he somehow found a post office box at that Berlin airport and mailed the suit back home so that, you know, at least Tony Stark and others wouldn't wouldn't get a hold of it. He still got captured. But uh, according to the Sokovia Accords, people with powers or people with advanced technology have to register with the government. So like Iron Man does not have any power. Tony Stark has no powers, but his suits are more advanced than any military tech. So he has to register with the government. The same thing would be for Hank Pym. He has to register his tech with the government. They refuse to do so. So they're criminals under the Sokovia Accords. OK, OK, that makes sense. Uh, again, it's it's kind of complicated and, and there's the, the danger of it being overcomplicated for for the general audience. But, you know, uh, comic book fans, we geek out on this sort of stuff. So that's that's fine. Uh, so, uh, there, you know, like we've mentioned that there are a lot of times when you have to kind of suspend disbelief and move on. You know, one of these things is, you know, the shrinking building, which they keep expanding and shrinking um and yeah i wanted to get to this this bothered me (laughs) because nobody notices a building that wasn't there in an empty lot nobody sees a giant building shrinking down um and when he tilts this this shrunken building doesn't everything inside like slide to to one end 
I thought yeah, yeah it's all the furniture <laughs> bolted maybe, down. Maybe or... <laughs> it's bolted down. Then I thought, well, how does it get power? Well, maybe yeah, it has plumbing. Own, well, maybe it has its yeah. own internal generators and water recirculation sure. systems. Yeah. But I did think about it. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's these sorts of things occur to me. Just like when, when you know, Ava, who it can cannot help but be like phasing through matter. It, this is a problem with all phasing technology in every science fiction, which is you walk through walls, but are the soles of your feet somehow solid? Like, how come you don't fall through the earth? I thought about this yeah. as well. I, I thought maybe, okay, maybe phasers learn the ability when they pass through a wall that the wall sequentially goes through their feet and soles. You know, they learn how to let it kind of roll through them so they can pass through objects while maintaining uh, the ability to, to not gravitationally get pulled into the center of the earth, which ironically, though, there's a great episode of Batman Beyond where called Sneak Peek, where the new Batman in the future, Terry McGinnis, has to fight a journalist who gets the best scoops because he has phasing technology. And at the end of the movie, his phasing technology goes wrong and he just falls through the earth. And it, you assume he goes to the center of the earth. Oh, wow. Which is pretty graphic for a kid's show. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thought about that, too. Yes. Uh, so like a lot, these, a lot of these things, we put a pin in it, we move on, but we, we acknowledge it because we're geeks and that's what we do. Um, so, uh, I, I thought a nice funny moment was when Scott complained that, uh, Hope got wings and blasters where, whereas he didn't, uh, you know, cause she's the wasp and he's just an ant. And what does an ant got? Ants got, you know, strength, but, uh, but uh, a wasp gets to sting things. And that's, that's what hope gets. And she's, she's really good at it. She, uh, she's, you know, action, action hero, uh, hope as she kicks butt of the, uh, the, the gang. So this gang uh, run by Sunny Birch, they, they apparently get uh, quantum tech, you know, forbidden quantum tech on the black market. And, you know, that's, comes in component form apparently that you can just plug into stuff and he's going to double cross them because he wants he wants control of whatever he misunderstands what they're doing and uh, makes assumptions and wants control of it meanwhile ava is out there and she wants the tech and she she kind of intervenes in this fight um she's the ghost who walks through walls i like that uh one of um scott's buddies at the uh uh at the security firm who is uh, who's apparently Russian in uh, background uh, calls her Baba Yaga, which is a, a Russian folktale <laughs> of a of a witch, uh, which is just a, a funny uh, reference. Um, and is a character in Marvel Comics. It's another throwback oh, for Eagle Eyed fans. Oh, oh, I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's wow. interesting. There are yeah. a million Marvel <laughs> characters <laughs> out there. It would just mean thinking you've heard of them all. There's there are yet more. Um, she, yeah, one of the funniest parts of the movie is is when he starts singing the Baba Yaga like song, like yeah, sort <laughs> when of he sees ghosts un, right a little under him, his yeah. breath, like he's remembering it from yeah. his childhood. Yes, that that is a very, that, that is a good great. moment. Um, so Ava lives uh, in this uh, well, basically a Fresnel chamber, a Fresnel lens chamber, which is like a Fresnel lens is is what you see in a lighthouse, and it focuses light. Uh, the you know it it, it makes. Uh, the light beams from a lighthouse stronger as it beams out. Um, so somehow they, these Fresnel lenses that she's living inside that, that makes up this room that she's living in uh, are helping her with her problem. She was as a child, we have a nice flashback sequence where as a child, she was, or she was uh, exposed by her dad exposed to the quantum realm. And she ended up uh, becoming this phasing in and out. And then shield shield, which is often portrayed as sort of, they're supposed to be the good guys, but sometimes they walk the line. They're a little in the gray zone. Um, and S.H.I.E.L.D. used her 
she says, used her, promised her to heal her, but were never going to do it, is from her, she concluded, but used her as sort of a ninja assassin sort to take advantage of her unique skills. Um, and now with S.H.I.E.L.D. gone, she's been kind of left hanging, and she reached out to uh, Bill Foster, who is a uh, old partner of Hank, and they've been estranged. Um, we have this nice moment, or this kind of funny, you know, a little little off color, but still kid friendly because it's 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 a little obscure moment in Bill's office where uh, he and Scott are comparing how big they uh, once got, uh, the biggest they ever got, um, and Hope kind of you know gives him a zinger for that one. Um, that was pretty good. And then um, it turns out that Bill Foster is not quite a good guy. Not quite a bad guy, but is sort of a little in between, which I thought was an interesting choice for this character. He's he's sort of he's working against our heroes at one point, but he's not he he, he doesn't want Ava to do, you know, to hurt people or he's just trying to help her because he has this fatherly relationship with her. I thought that was an interesting uh, twist to the story. Unexpected. Yeah, it helps to have once again an antagonist who is relatable and is not just you know evil for evil's sake. Right. Right. Um. So at this point in the movie is when the action just you know kind of ramps up and we have lots of fun action scenes. We have a lot of uh, you know a lot of different uh, chases and uh, uh, you know fights. Um. That we we do have this fun scene where we have uh. Sonny Birch shows up at the uh, the security firm offices and sub- subjects Luis to truth serum, which the guy, <laughs> the guy with the truth serum, he's saying it's not truth serum. There's no such thing, which is funny because, you know, in real life, we, we talk about sodium pentothal um, and people in popular culture, they call it truth serum. And people who who know such things say it's not truth serum. It doesn't work that way. But the fact is, is this this stuff that they injected with actually is truth serum and it's so everyone keeps <laughs> denying it until uh at some point uh you know they they accept it under the influence of the truth serum they have to they have to admit it um so th- that that is a, a funny gag that they get kind of rolls through um we have this this um moment where uh we scott is with his daughter and she's sort of a it's sort of a uh, this is also kind of a trope where she kind of bucks him up and says you know you go go back out there dad and you be a hero and there's this funny line where you know it says you can do it you can do anything you're the world's greatest grandma <laughs> which i thought because <laughs> of the uh, trophy that she gave him was you, you, world's greatest grandma um so that was those uh, a nice moment um we, we there's a there's this funny gag and I, I thought it might have been a little subtle when they went to go see bill foster there's uh they they're walking across this college campus and these three fugitives are wearing ball caps and sunglasses and scott points out another one of those moments where you you're, you're poking a you know the balloon uh hey you know we're wearing ball caps and sunglasses they're not real disguises you, you we're not going to really <laughs> get away with this later on when uh when hank is escaping from the fbi what does he do he puts on a ball cap and sunglasses. Yeah, for sunglasses. <laughs> so, so uh, a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, so we get. I, I want to kind of wrap, you know bring things around to us uh, to wrap it up here because we have a lot of different, you know, like I said, a lot of different action sequences here, and you can bring anything, bring up anything you want if if I've jumped over it. But um, you know, at the end, they they get Janet from the quantum realm, 
Um, she is uh, evidently able to help Ava, which is, you know, even with what all the bad things Ava has done, um, she's able to help her. Um, and Scott is able to get away with, um, you know, having violated the terms of his house arrest. Um, and meanwhile, are Hank and Hope still fugitives, right? Is is that how we, we've ended yes. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're they're still fugitives. So they're on the run. Ava's on the run. Everything seems to turn out just fine until we get to the post credit scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And and that's and this is the, the, the bit where, you, you know, you got to say you always wait to the end of the credits with the Marvel movies. You just always have to. Uh, so we get to this this post credit scene where uh, Scott has shrunk down back to the quantum realm and uh, he's he's. You know, okay, guys, it's time for, you know, the, the, well, he's talking to them and he's cut off. He's like, guys, 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 he's calling them. And, and then what we go back to is the camera shifts back to ashes falling through the air. And we know, having seen Infinity War, that's the, that's, this is the moment when Thanos has activated the Infinity, Infinity Gauntlet. Um, and all of the, um, all, you know, he killed half of the population, which, unlucky for them, the, though I think that everyone was really nonchalant on that rooftop. Nobody thought, Maybe we should be worried about this thing in Wakanda. It's really nonchalant about everything, but all right. That was very interesting that, you know, of all the people that they called up to go fight, you know, uh, uh, Thanos in Wakanda, uh, they no one said we have to go get Ant-Man or uh, or the Wasp. But maybe they don't know about the Wasp, but, the, you know, we, the, no one was thinking we had to go get Ant-Man uh, to, to, to join us in the fight, which is an interesting uh, commentary, which it's actually my well, I think. It, it, Sorry, yeah. In Infinity War, they they kind of explain it like in a one line. Yeah, uh, they say thing. he's on house arrest. He's like, yeah, Scott. They the Scott's on house arrest, and uh, and I think they said something about Hawkeye too. Um, right. Uh, why they he made deals. With why he couldn't make the fight? Yeah, they made deals, and and you know, and yeah. Scott's on house hey, arrest. I have to jump in here. I know we're wrapping at a close here. Yes. I, I have to run to a meeting. So, I, could I offer one last thought yes. about the post credit scene? You guys can take us away. Yes, let's sure. do that. Uh, so my last thought is my predictions are Scott is trapped in the quantum realm. The snap has occurred. Uh, my prediction is that uh, Janet warns him about a time vortex. Don't fall into that or you won't be able we won't be able to help you. Scott will use the time vortex to escape the quantum realm and he may go into the future at, like many years after the snap and encounter possibly a grown up Cassie who will have his grown up daughter who will have her superhero mantle of stature. Uh, from the comics and she'll be because in the early film she says she wants to become a hero and so that might be fulfilled in avengers 4 and he'll meet her and tony stark and others in the future after the snap but use the quantum realm to go back in time to, to fix things that's my prediction but i have to run off it was great chatting with you all and i hope you all take it away uh love to come back again all right great thanks trent Excellent. take care thanks Trent. so uh so Angel, that's actually a really interesting um uh, theory. Uh, I know that there are a number out there. I'm pretty sure Captain Marvel plays a role in in the solution of this. Um, we're going to have uh, you know a, a lot of different. Um, I'm sure to say a lot. A, a lot of there's a lot of theories about how the this all gets resolved. I do, I didn't know. Like again, I'm not as much of a comic book person, but I didn't know that Cassie herself ends up becoming a uh, a superhero character. Um, yeah, she does. Yeah, she ends up. Yeah, she takes on a few different uh, mantles. Uh, she, she um, at some point, she becomes Ant Girl. Um, she becomes, you know, basically, she takes over the role of Ant Man. Interesting. And then she's, yeah, she's stature. She's and she had a few other um, 
iterations, but she's always known as Cassie. You know, everyone just calls her Cassie in the comics. Okay. Yeah. So the, then, uh, you know, it's it's kind of fascinating because I think about the um, um, some of the stuff that Doctor Strange had said uh, in Infinity War about, you know, um, there's there are 14 million possibilities. There's only one way I can see through it. And, you know, and he kind of like says we're not going to like that way. And we we got the idea that this is the way. Um, but it'll be it's interesting uh, also that. um being in the quantum realm seems to have somehow shielded Scott from the effects of this, unless he was just happened to be one of the half of the population that survives. Right. Uh, it's kind of, kind of curious. Um, I did like, by the way, I, I did, I kind of skipped over it. I did like seeing the tardigrades, um, the creatures, uh, which, yeah, those are cool. Which are, have, like they're a relatively recent scientific discovery, but everybody loves them now. Like, cause now we see them in star Trek. We see them in, in uh, Marvel movies. So I just, it's kind of fun to see them again. Um, uh, the other, the only other thing I really wanted to bring up, and then I, uh, I'll throw it to you if you have any uh, last thoughts on it, uh, was the the credit scene dioramas. Uh, now, I mean, it's not a huge thing, but I just thought it was so fun to see that they had, um, you know, created these 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 uh, models of these various scenes from the movie, and it was just a, a neat little thing that they threw in there. They didn't have to, I suppose, but it was just a fun little you know gadget they threw in. Uh, before the post credit scene, because they knew we'd be sitting there waiting for it, so it was nice. Yeah, I think I think you know I think if you look at almost every Marvel movie, does a really good job of that. Um, they they put like I've noticed they put a lot of effort uh, into those uh, credits. You know, uh, uh, you know every one of them you know has a unique sort of right flavor to it. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed the uh, the the dioramas. Uh, they're really impressive. Um, and yeah, and just to to go back to uh, the uh, the after credit scene, um, yeah, in my opinion, I I would call it it's probably my favorite Marvel after credit scene. Um, it's not like the most I don't know uh, groundbreaking or or uh, shocking uh, scene because you know this is post Avengers Infinity War. We we know what happens, but it kind of gives you like so this. They chose Ant Man and the Wasp as the first film uh, to, to premiere after Infinity War. Right. Um, and I think, I think they did it for, for a reason. I mean, the, the ultimate reason, I think, is to introduce more of the quantum realm uh, aspect of it, um, because that's going to play a role in Avengers 4. Um, but I think also it's kind of like to alleviate some of the, you know, the sadness and the dread right. of, you know, the, the ramifications and, uh, of Infinity War. You know, just bringing this this wholesome, you know, funny uh, superhero movie into the fold um, that doesn't take itself too seriously. Right. Um, but but yeah, I think the after credit scene, you know, uh, just reminds you like, hey, this this really happened. And 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 look at look at what's uh, the world's in a mess right now. And, and then the second after credit scene, it, it might seem like it was just a little one off, you know, kind of humorous with the ant. Right. You know, playing the drums. Yeah. But then you hear like the emergency broadcast system, you know, uh, on the TV. Right. And then you hear, like, I think, I think you hear like cars crashing outside and, and stuff like that. And people screaming. Um, that shows you like this, this event really took place and, and it was not a joke and, and there's real weight to it. And it's, it's going to be interesting how they're going to figure it all out. Right. Um, and, and I think what Trent said before he left about, um, you know, Scott possibly, 
traveling to the future. Um, I think I think that that is going to play a role. Um, and I think they're going to I think is also going to travel to the past because mm-hmm. I think, um, it, you know, the, really one of the only ways to uh, kind of reverse what happened is is if you can go back in time. Literally, I mean, right. Because uh, uh, those, uh, you know, the, unless you have all 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 infinity stones, you know, there's nothing else that could really reverse what happened. So I'm I'm very interested to see you know where they take this, and and I think we got our first hint of it in uh, Ant Man and the Wasp. You know, it's, it it is interesting because if you mention you know if Hank mentions the time vortex, it, you know it and nothing happens with it in the in the uh, in the short term. You know that's they, it's just not, not just a throwaway line. It's that, that it has meaning to something that they intend to do something with that. So that was interesting. Yeah, let me ask you uh, your opinion on these whole post-credit scenes in general. I mean, they, it was such a big deal, you know, when Iron Man did it and some of the others. Now it's sort of become a uh, has has it become overdone? Should they just put this at the end of the movie and then roll credits? I mean, or or have they set up a situation now where they have to have an a post credit scene? What, what do you think? Um, you know, as a as a fan of these movies, like I live for those scenes. So I I, I know whenever you know a movie like whenever a Marvel movie ends, like I can't wait to just keep sitting in my seat. <laughs> you know, usually around a usually around a full theater on opening night. Uh, with everyone just like chatting and, and giddy about, you know, the scene that's coming up. I, I think that adds to the, the movie theater experience right. that I, that I enjoy. You know, I, I like that, that communal aspect of it where everyone gets hyped up. Um, is it overdone? Maybe, you know, I, because like, it's not a surprise anymore, you know, right. so you're always expecting it. But I think, you know, the fact that, uh, again, you kind of, you kind of get some time to, you know, to, to maybe it's, say to the person next to you, like, Hey man, that movie was really good. Or, Hey man, I didn't like this about the movie. And you know, kind of shave off, uh, some of the, the emotions, uh, from the film that you just watched right? and then have, you know, either, uh, a shocking after credit scene, you know, just smack you in the face to, to, to have, to build anticipation for the next film or to have something funny. That's kind of tongue in cheek that they sometimes do that. That doesn't really advance the story. Uh, so no, I'm I'm okay. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I I think it's great that that they make you wait. It's just like I said, a part of that experience uh, in the theater. One of the things I heard uh, after Infinity Wars, like people who don't know sometimes don't wait. In fact, I've been in theaters where I'm like, everyone's leaving. I'm like, where are you going? <laughs> don't go anywhere. There's more to come. <laughs> um, and and I heard like a reaction to some people didn't like Infinity War, but like because at the end of it they left. And didn't get the, the you know the 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 uh, the fury and um, uh, what's her name uh, Hill uh, they they didn't see yeah Maria Hill Maria Hill they didn't see you know them get the uh, the signal the, uh, from Captain Marvel With Captain Marvel and, right and and there's sort of this bleak ending to this movie where Thanos sits you know self satisfied on his hill after he's killed half the universe uh, <laughs> and it's the people walk into the theater going what the heck did I just watch and they didn't even know it was, there was going to be a sequel to it like that's horrible um, so yeah. there, there are de- there are definitely downsides for casual viewers if they're not sure if they're not up on what's going on or what what to expect so uh, but I agree I kind of like this in fact I do I don't walk out of any movie now before the end of the credits roll because you never know <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. You, you really never know. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. So, um, do you have any last thoughts on the movie as a whole? Uh, we, we've kind of uh, really run through it pretty well, I think. Yeah, uh, I think the only other thing I would add is, uh, you know, I don't think we got to talk about it too much, but uh, I thought uh, they handled uh, Wasp's character really well. Yeah. Uh, and, and in a lot of ways, it's it's her movie. I mean, yes. she's, you know, she's got she's the one that's that's uh, most skilled and she knows what she's doing. You know, Scott is, you know, for every, you know, right choice he makes, he makes five wrong ones, you know, but she's the one that's that's sort of like. She kicks ass and she um, she just she has a goal in mind and she doesn't play that usual damsel in distress. You know, yes. she's she's really and, and she didn't come. She, she didn't really come from a tortured past. I mean, other than, you know, not growing up with her mother, you know, she decides to be a superhero because, you know, she looked up to her dad and, and she just wants to do the right thing and 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 help uh, help the world. And uh, and in this movie, uh, help find her mom. Let me ask you this. Do you find her? her change of heart towards Scott, a believable progression of the character. Did, did you like, by the end of it, she's, she's now, you know, back. She, uh, I won't say in love with, cause they don't really establish it, but she likes him. Sure. You know, there's romantic interest yeah. again. Um, did you find that a, a believable progression for the character? Uh, yeah. I mean, was it really fleshed out, you know, in the best way? Maybe not, but I think, uh, you know, the only, I mean, the one reason why they broke up was because, you know, uh, Scott went to Germany, right? Uh, you know, uh, without telling her, uh, without, ask, without asking for her help, and she felt betrayed by that. Um, but I felt uh, that throughout the film, that Scott kind of, you know, gained that trust back, you know, by by helping them ultimately okay. uh, throughout the film, and and you know, putting his neck on the line, you know, because he could have just stayed home, and uh, you know, he was risking, you know, not being able to see his daughter ever again, right? You know, and uh, so I think. Uh, you know, I think if you think about it that way, you know, it's, it's believable. Um, and, uh, you know, it didn't, uh, you know, for me, it didn't deter me from, okay. from the film. It, 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 it worked. I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think that it did work cause they, they, it wasn't a sudden switch. It was, there were, you could see a progression, uh, through, I think it was, it was fairly well written. Well, I think that that sort of sums it up. I, I just before we go, I wanted to to, to uh, encourage folks to remember that um, SQPN. We're in the middle of our giving campaign where we're um, trying to uh, meet our budget and to be able to continue on as an organization. Frankly, um, we need your support. If you can go to sqpn.com/slash/give and give what you can, become a patron. Um, it supports the organization, and frankly, if we if we don't reach our goal, um, these podcasts go away. It's just the you know, fact of life. So we really do appreciate the support you're giving. And if you, if you enjoy this, we've got lots more coming and we've got other shows on SQPN that, uh, that you, that you'll like too. Um, this, the, the future is bright for SQPN. So help us build that future. We really do appreciate it. One way you can do that is if you go to amazon.com, you go to smile.amazon.com when you do your Christmas shopping and choose SQPN as your, uh, uh, nonprofit organization, we get a percentage of what of the purchase prices. You don't pay more. Amazon is donating basically to us when when you do that. So uh, that said, uh, remember to like Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on Facebook on our SQPN Facebook page. Retweet the show on Twitter. Leave us comments. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in your favorite podcast app and on YouTube where we post the show as an audio only video. 
And uh, if you do subscribe on YouTube, hit the bell to get notifications. And above all, share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow our community of listeners and to, to reach more folks with what we're doing. Uh, if, you, if you're enjoying it, chances are someone you know is going to enjoy this too. Uh, so again, if you want to give us some feedback, you can do that at sqpn.com slash secrets or the StarQuest Facebook page. Uh, find the episode there, leave a comment, or send us an email to secrets at sqpn.com. You can find the relevant links to our discussion on our show notes on sqpn.com. And uh, like I said, be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't. I'm repeating myself now, so I'm just going to finish up by saying um, thank you to Trent Horn uh, for joining us today. Uh, he had to leave a little early, like he said. And uh, Andrew Hermes, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, thank you very much. It was my pleasure, and I'd uh, love to do it again. Excellent. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of movies and TV shows on StarQuest. This is Don Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.